Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is Thursday, October 29th, 2020. SPY closing at 329.98 today. And who do we have on the podcast but the impervious? John Bush, welcome to the show. Oh man, excited. We got the uh, climax really of earnings season here. So lots of lots of stock to do some talking about. Yeah, I don't know if we could have picked a more exciting time in the market to do a podcast. Uh, this has been a crazy week. I think we had our largest single day decline in months and obviously a bunch of third quarter earnings hit the wire. So I want to get into all of that. Uh, but first off, how you doing? Oh, do, doing lovely. Nice, nice, dreary uh, fall, autumn afternoon here in, in New England. Uh, I feel like you could write a, an Edgar Allan Poe poem here about what's going on but uh yeah man very very much uh interested to see what's going to happen with this this election around the corner not so much who wins but uh what kind of chaos surrounds it yeah it feels like the chaos has already started i i would say wednesday caught me a bit off guard i had a number of stocks that had reported fairly strong earnings and we're seeing declines on the day uh name you and i both uh, had options in FireEye. Wasn't really getting the love I expected after a nice beat on earnings. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, maybe first off, some some quick high-level thoughts on the market. Yeah, so it, it seems like you know we, we are in a bit of a, a malaise, I, I would say. Clearly a, a bit of a downtrend for the last two weeks. Um, you know, historically, there, there is a bit of selling into the election. So I think that's sort of a, an easy thing to point to there. Uh, but since hitting those all-time highs on uh, September 2nd, um, we, we've really been sort of in this, this range of uh, in the SPY, so the SP500 ETF between the, the all-time high there at 358.78 down to about 320. Um, and since that October high on October 12th just sort of been slowly coming down this down tra- channel and then absolutely dropped out of that on Wednesday. Uh, and then today here, Thursday, Thursday, October uh, 29th, 29th. Um, with a, a couple of massive tech earnings coming up, as expected, there were some big run-ups in, in uh, you know, everyone's favorite names, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, uh, as well as Google. And we'll get into those earnings in, in just a minute. But it seems like there's kind of a bit of a, a wait and see sort of approach here. You know, there's not much buying going on outside of the uh, frequent gamma squeezes we're seeing with just crazy out of the money call buying again, like we saw in August, but uh, on a much shorter duration, maybe diminished returns there. But it doesn't look like there's a lot of uh, money coming off of the the proverbial sidelines that we keep hearing about uh, and pouring into the market. Um, and there's been some some fairly significant outflows from the SPY in the the triple Qs. But uh, right now the picture does not look very good. But Honestly, as long as we still have basically unlimited liquidity provided by the central banks, uh, I think that's the biggest factor to 
basically ensuring there isn't a major, major sell-off or retest of, of March lows. But I think at the moment, uh, we might be looking at uh, moving potentially below this range and, and testing um, some, some lower numbers, a big round one in the 300 range, I think we definitely have an appointment for. But at the same time, another all-time high is not out of the question. I think we can draw a few scenarios around this election that might you know, create that type of optimism, whether it's around stimulus or any number of market-related uh, factors there. But uh, um, you know, while, while it's fair to be bearish in the short term, I, I still think there's a, a pretty solid bull thesis, especially considering what we've seen over the last six months and going back to March. I will give you one thing that you did not mention that I'm extremely bold up on, and that is third quarter earnings. I, I think irrespective of stimulus or whatever happens with the election, one reason to feel great about stocks right now is earnings, I think for most companies that have reported have been extremely positive. I mean, just to cherry pick some names I own, um, Crocs, ServiceNow, Twilio, um, I own a read called Ladder Capital, um, I think of the FANG names that have reported. Amazon and Facebook both posted pretty nice uh, reports for Q3. Um, obviously, you can cherry pick. I mean, I know you have some thoughts on Apple um, and some other companies that have reported. But overall, I just think this is shaping up to be a really nice earnings season. Um, if you want to take Crocs as an example, you know, they beat on the top and bottom line. They may do about $3 in EPS this year you know, if they trade at you know, 15, 20 times earnings. Stock should end up pretty well. So, I mean, I, I get choked up when I, I see such huge, massive beats uh, in both uh, earnings per share and revenue. But it, despite the fact the earnings on paper have been quite impressive for a number of names, uh, what we've seen so far is quite a bit of selling. And this was a date that uh, I, as well as many other traders, had circled on the calendar, the trading or earnings calendar quite some time with uh, such a massive uh, percentage of both the S&P 500 and NASDAQ reporting today. And so if there's anything we've, we've learned about earnings, not just this earnings season, but previous ones, uh, the reaction does not necessarily match how the numbers are in paper. So just run it down. I mean, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, all beat on earnings per share, all beat on revenue. Amazon, pretty impressive reporting. Uh, a $12.30 earnings per share, beating expectations of $7.37. Yet, basically across the board, we're seeing all of these stocks selling off after hours. Uh, Google is is pretty much the only one that is still up, despite all good earnings. Uh, and I should, well, Facebook was up for a little while. It's now just ducked below its cr closing price a little bit under 280 but Apple, uh, despite you know beating, showing uh, a, a decline in iPhone sales as well as a uh, weak performance in China, uh, in Amazon, despite their their massive uh, reporting here, is now below thirty one sixty. Um, so you know, not a massive sell off that's sitting just below the opening range from today, but not exactly the reaction that you would expect based on those numbers, and especially considering on this same uh, earnings jubilee that we saw back in, in July when these names all reported simultaneously, as well as Tesla. Uh, it's just one after the other moonshot candle just blasting off the stratospheric new heights and all-time highs and kicking off a, a massive, massive run. So after that, that run, and even though we've, we've seen some softness in the last couple uh, of months, especially uh, since the beginning of September, 
these stocks have still run up a significant amount since then. So I guess when you're basically carrying the entire weight of the market and everything is basically rotated into this, this, uh, basket of stocks i guess the expectation is you know re reinventing the wheel or reinventing the uh uh face id what what have you each time that you know a new product comes out or there are new products so i, I feel like what what can be really read into this this action after hours today is more sort of investor sentiment more so than anything about these companies themselves you know there appears to be quite a bit of anxiety and uh, I'll admit I was uh, pretty short of, of uh, the NASDAQ even though you know we got that bet going we'll hit that at the end uh, going to close today just because the recipe for disaster if you are holding uh, a position through earnings is a, a, a real big run-up you know going into the earnings report so you know today was basically the classic stairway to heaven looking chart uh, for all these names as well as the major indexes so it just seemed like regardless of what numbers come out, uh, the path of least resistance appeared to be down. Um, and if it was down, it was going to be down in a big way. And it seems like, you know, the night might be long, but who knows? We've also seen plenty of stocks that have sold off uh, end up opening up after hours. But I think this does sort of act as a nice heat check and let us know that uh, things may be cooling down a little bit. So to expect you know, stratospheric uh, new highs and just grind up, melt up uh, slow rallies like like we saw this summer, even though, you know, again, the conditions haven't changed really from a, a liquidity standpoint. Um, we will probably see plenty of selling as well. So the, the plan for the time being or the strategy is, you know, sell the rip. And if you are buying the dip, make sure you're actually buying the right dip and have a nice short leash on on that but uh you know that can change you know any trading day if we bust out of that channel but it seems like there isn't going to be much changing between now and next week when we have the election and by all indications we won't have a winner for a while after that so you know, i don't see any any major catalyst to break out of this particular trend uh even if it's just a slow kind of uh move down through the election or until we have resolution on who's who's going to be in office next Interesting. Yeah, I'll push a bit on that one. I guess first, I kind of want to put myself on uh, the therapist couch and kind of have you, you know, observe kind of my, my thoughts and feelings on this. So I think for the first time in a long time, I'm feeling a bit confused about the price action. And again, you have always said follow the price action. And a lot of my confusion here is the fundamentals seem to be going in a very different direction from the market. Um, which interestingly enough, I mean, I think in March, I think when the market started recovering, it was maybe a reversal of that where the fundamentals were actually somewhat poor, uh, but you were seeing stocks kind of go the opposite direction. So from my vantage point, um, as I said before, earnings have been terrific. I and mean, I did specifically want to call out banks, which I think are a nice proxy for parts of the economy. I mean, pretty much every major bank that reported lowered its loan loss reserve. So for what this means, and I've talked about this on the pod before, is banks are required by regulatory laws to actually say, we think we're going to lose this much money for the quarters ahead. In future quarters, they can go and say, we actually overestimated. And that's actually exactly what's happened. So if you look at Deutsche Bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, a lot of the REITs like Ladder Capital, who I mentioned earlier, all of them are saying, hey, you know, we projected a $25 million loss um, from our loan book. We're now, uh, we're now going to claw back three or four million of that um, because we've actually decided the environment's not nearly as bad out there as we expected. Um, 
and again, you know that that's banks. I think Energy has also had a pretty nice run. Royal Dutch Shell increased its dividend. You've had a number of companies increasing dividends and announcing that they bought back shares. So fundamentals appear pretty strong. So again, very confused as to why the market seems to be moving against me here a bit. Um, you mentioned the election a bit is maybe a, a rationale for um, some of the movement here. I mean, what am I missing? Is it the election? Uh, is it a technical sell-off? But why are the fundamentals going in the opposite direction of where the market's going? Well, for, first of all, if I'm going to be sitting in the, the therapist chair, Ben, we, we need to talk about some, some childhood trauma that you've had or something because this, this averaging down on Wells Fargo is, is clearly problematic and it has some roots in, in something that must have happened to you on the bus or something or, or the schoolyard as a kid. I think it was working there. That actually may be where the, the trauma comes from. But, you know, one appointment at a time, I bill hourly. But I think, you know, the, the problem is that fundamentals are taking a backseat to technicals in a lot of these cases. And when you see that parabolic chart and there really isn't a lot of other forward looking indicators in terms of, you know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, going back to these uh, earnings real quick, I think what really was was problematic in a bunch of places, particularly with Apple, was pulling guidance, uh, sort of indicating that, you know, even though we are in a recovery, there's not really a time frame for, you know, when we can expect to to use a similar model, if ever again what we had before and you know the, the problem is that i mean you look at the chart for the xlf and it's it, the banks really haven't come close to even where they were on uh june 12th uh which is a relative higher rather june june 9th uh and almost looked like they're about to fall off a cliff crude dropped today uh i think a narrative could be spun around you know uh, a a biden administration really not being uh energy friendly or at least um in the, the typical energy um, that we're, we're used to, especially with the Green New Deal. Uh, but with, with growth stocks having been sort of, uh, for the time being, uh, the, the best ROI in a very short-sighted uh, sense, especially from, from the March bottoms, it's hard to ignore the returns there when it seems like other sectors uh, oil, you know, look at uh, Occidental Petroleum or some of these banks uh, just seem to keep going down. So I think that there's still an even better opportunity to, to get lots of great value that, that I know you like in these, these certain spaces. But uh, I, I think with banks, it also comes down to this, this rapidly changing sort of monetary system that we have here with MMT and how is that going to sort of affect uh, banks. I mean, honestly, being able to print money and having, you know, infinite credit available is something that definitely appeals to banks. But also there's the issue of are they utilizing that and do they believe that, you know, making uh, small business or uh, personal loans to people a, a good investment in? I would imagine, and you know, I don't have a number in front of me, but the numbers probably do back that up. That there isn't uh, as much of that that capital being deployed. And sure, there are many other ways um, that some of these bank investments. I mean, I would be a little more bullish on the investment banks, JPM, Goldman Sachs, uh, than Wells Fargo, Bank of America, um, just because it seems like there's a lot that was wrong back in the the, the GFC back in 0809. Uh, that's really been been patched up. Everything's just been really reinflated. So I don't think there's a lot of confidence that the risk that was there uh, ha has gone away. Even though we've we've learned, you know, these banks are too big to fail. 
Um, does does that mean that you know we we won't have to run into another situation where we got to keep doing the same thing and again diminished returns? So I think a nascent business or one that does look to be a part of the future instead of uh, a vestige of of the past, like banks and energy. Not that banks and energy are going away, but you know, should we find ourselves with a, a digital dollar or the Fed is just uh, depositing money right into people's accounts to speed up inflation here, um, as we see the dollar sort of spiking over the last couple of days, um, or rather, uh, m- moving higher and almost towards the edge of the the range that it's been trading in. Um, there, there does appear to be some scenarios where I think the the current model and you know how you evaluate fundamentals, which you know you're much more familiar with and inversed in than I. But uh, having actually looked at the charts, I don't I don't see any reason to be bullish at least at this very moment in any other time frame than you know five ten years or a few epochs. You know, whenever dinosaurs might come back. Um, so not, not that the uh, cloud darlings that we love so much and have been sort of the the great growth stories are doing any better. Um, some of our good friends like Fastly still looking to find a bottom um, after selling off significantly on that, that news of TikTok pulling back. Uh, but even CrowdStrike, uh, a friend of the podcast here, is, is also in free fall uh, and doesn't seem to find bottom. And that's you know, despite good earnings. So there's not really uh, any, any safe uh, place to be putting money. So you know, I think part of it is if banks in energy really can't go any lower, you know, you're probably in a safe position than some of these uh, tech stocks, which I think were considered that, that much safer uh, place to, to put your money in and eke out some um, decent 10% year over year returns, as well as some type of dividend, um, might not be as safe or are probably uh, ha- have more room to, to move down here if there is some type of correction um, or, dare we say, uh, you know, major sell off or, or, uh, recession um but it's it's just going to be mostly tech for for the time being or until anything really changes and that's really at the the whim of sort of the government which administration we're in now unfortunately let's talk about what you just said so you know if things change when things change um because i think as you said you know it does seem like we're in a bit of a uh, extended sell-off whether that turns into like a true correction who knows i I think we're probably less than 10 percent off the highs or something like that I mean, I'm, I'm thinking zooming out a little bit uh, to the rest of this year to 2021. I mean, I think, I think back to my best purchases in the stock market, not surprisingly, timing is everything. And they came, you know, December of 2018, uh, the mini recession of 2015 and 16, you know, April and May of this year. Um, I think all those times I bought, I wasn't sure where things were going, but I could tell negativity was pretty high. Um, and definitely like some of the value I saw. I think right now I'm finding it a little bit more difficult to say how how much longer is this sell-off going to extend? When is the right time uh, to really get aggressive in this market? Because I think from what you're saying now, um, it, it sounds like there could be a, a few more shoes to drop before we see the bottom here. Well, when G- GDP is is declining, 40 million people are unemployed, we're, we're facing down the potential of more lockdown and restrictions. Uh, there aren't many more levers you can pull to sort of juice up the economy other than injection of, of more capital and more money printing. So obviously the stock market goes up, you know, the, equity prices are going to continue to, to grow. But I think the, the, the risk, if, if we continue down this path of uh, really just printing our way out of things instead of allowing there to be a correction or allowing bad businesses to fail, 
allowing Hertz to finally die instead of uh, getting some some helicopter money, which it appears they might. Uh, then there's not really an opportunity for the market to correct itself in a way that is sort of a creative destruction where bad businesses that are poorly run don't make money but are still operating in industries where there is a market uh, get replaced by newer industries that are either run more efficiently or have a different business model. And if no company is allowed to fail just because that would do too much damage to pension funds and, and passive investing funds, then you end up with all these zombie companies that are you know, worth potentially way too much or even less than book value, but you know, being held up by just sort of government intervention and over-regulation instead of the market and uh, sort of the efficiency of, of consumers and spending and how that would actually work on its own. So the, the, the challenge I, I continue to see is, you know, if equities just keep going up in the same manner they have, then we do face a real risk of inflation, even though inflation hasn't happened yet. And that definitely encourages more uh, printing and more stimulus if you haven't really felt anything. Uh, but we're, we're not really operating on an economy. It's more of just a monetary system. And so, I mean, a lot of these, these stocks sort of have a very, very similar chart. And that may be because they are all in the same indexes or, uh, you know, you have exposure to them in, in a lot of the, the largest, most popular funds. But um, there, there's not much else really happening uh, in, in individual stocks or anything that, you know, would stand out. So long term, you have to be bullish. Stocks are up 80 percent of the time. But I think short term here, I at least wouldn't necessarily be buying because there is always the risk of, of buying the top. Uh, and if, if your, your plan is to be buying and holding as, as you are here, I think there's several names that present at least more downside risk than they do upside risk, especially if we've seen good earnings uh, lead to selling off uh, after hours. Uh, you know, we may have some, some degree of price discovery moving forward. So I, I do think that waiting till after the election is, is probably a more prudent thing to do. Um, and I could even see a scenario where if everything goes off on election day, you know, we see a lot of stocks that had sort of been held down or, uh, you know, hadn't seen much volume, very indifferent, um, you know, see a nice bump just because it looks like, you know, we might actually have a winner. It'll be really the, the weeks and months after. And then, you know, if we, if we do get the blue sweep and uh, infinity stimulus for everyone, we, we face the risk of just a bigger deflation or a bigger bubble inflation and then deflation. So there's, there's just a lot of different scenarios and it hasn't happened yet. A lot of people have been calling for that rug pull for, for a while. And I think there is some, some degree of consensus that a drawdown sort of lurks in the future. The question is just, are we going to make new all-time highs in the meantime and how high will they be? Uh, but there, there's definitely a, a challenge with, with so, so little information available to you from a lot of these companies too about what to expect moving forward and being able to dig into their fundamentals in, in a meaningful way that will give you confidence as an investor moving forward. So I would certainly feel a lot more uh, comfortable as a trader and I'm, I'm certainly not trading any, any bank or energy stocks. And it seems like the best trade right now is, is trading the downside. So you follow where the profits are and where the, the price takes you. Yep. Uh, let, let's talk about, I think, what's going to be listener candy, what everyone kind of wants to hear the discussion on. You mentioned Blue Sweep. I got to ask you because it is, it, you know, that next time we have this podcast, it will have happened. Um, let's do some quick election analysis and I can't promise it'll be quick. So I want to play a game. I did not tell you this ahead of time, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to go over the three scenarios that could happen. 
And I want to hear on each of those scenarios, two things. Number one, the probability you think that thing could happen. And then the second thing would be, what do you think the market reaction will be? So you kind of touched on the, the blue sweep already, but let's, let's go there first. So number one, Biden victory. Uh, probability and then what you think would happen to the market. Well, so that, that depends. A, a Biden victory and uh, taking the Senate, um, the, so that would be the, the blue sweep. Um, right now, the conventional wisdom is that would be very bullish and basically would mean unlimited stimulus. But uh, I think that uh, investors are still trying to wrap their heads around what additional taxes and additional uh, taxes on capital gains would mean. So you know, there, there are a couple different scenarios, but it seems like right now that points to the greatest stimulus, uh, which is going to be best for equity prices. Now, if Biden wins, but the Senate stays Republican, that just means more gridlock. And I could see that being uh, perceived in, in a pretty bearish manner uh, relative to the, the blue wave, just because that definitely puts a damper on, you know, just a, a massively large additional zeros in it type type stimulus package. Gotcha. What are you going percentage chance? And just say, let's just say flat out Biden victory. You don't have to pick uh, where the Senate goes. So it's, I, I right now am leaning more towards, and, and this is based more on sort of the, the gut, the intuition, that gambler's instinct here. And even though a lot of the data and a lot of the news is uh, almost uh, acting like it's going to be a shutout, Biden's just going to absolutely dunk on Trump. There are so many echoes of 2016 here. And I don't see, you know, a lot of people sort of getting that deja vu feeling quite the same way I was, uh, you know, with Nate Silver basically um, getting his rear end handed to him on Election Day in 2016. And it seems like he's pretty much got the same uh, odds of winning for for Joe Biden as he had Hillary Clinton. But, you know, on Election Day, we all saw that change. So I probably give much more of a chance to, to Donald Trump in this election than um, anyone else. So it's still close. I mean, it's, uh, I would put it at 50, 50, uh, looks more like the, the Vegas odds are in the neighborhood of 60, 40 Biden to Trump. Um, but I feel like that's sort of discounting, you know, how many undecided voters, which may not be a significant amount, but when you break it down to the battleground States and where some of these, uh, voters might be, I feel like the, uh, with, with some of the news that's come out, like, uh, you know, the, the Hunter or the, the Bo Biden, Hunter Biden, which his son's emails, um, whether or not, you know, those are true or what their provenance is, that sort of feels a lot like Comey coming out and, and announcing he reopened the, the investigation on the Hillary emails, you know, so whether, whether that's all just sort of uh, noise, you know, that that's the type of thing that I could imagine would sway an undecided voter. And it's like, I don't know that, uh, you know, Donald Trump is, is going to really do anything to change the fact that, you know, he is pretty un unpresidential and a bit of a boorish character. But at the same time, it's uh, it's not like Joe Biden's pulling out uh, the, the Philly special uh, right here in the you know, fourth quarter to, to really take it home. So I, I think that it will be a much closer margin, but I still have it probably 50-50 in my head. Uh, as far as the Senate goes, and I've seen a lot of maps and not much agreement, so I feel even less confident even throwing out a number there. But uh, a, a full blue sweep, I, I don't see very being very likely uh, just because that seems like what a lot of people is sort of, are, are assuming is the most likely outcome 
And when you got a crowded trade, it basically means that uh, it's less likely to happen, at least in my opinion. Fair enough. Uh, I would get to the next question. I, I do want to take issue with your, uh, your Nate Silver comment. Yeah, I think if you project a 30% chance of an outcome, and you know, let's to use a poker analogy, if you're sitting on a flush draw and you hit it, right, you, you had less than a 50% chance if you have a flush draw on the, on the flop. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean you predicted it or didn't predict it. That's just the probabilities. But one harp on that. Okay, next next outcome. You know, uh, it's, it's, I, I think in Nate Silver's defense, it's based on the data that he's given. It's not necessarily... Exactly, exactly. So I, I still think that is the, the most objective means for trying to you know put a number around it, but I think it just shows that we really don't have reliable data, you know, no matter how you pull or how many people you pull to really uh, paint, paint the picture that needs to be painted in terms of how the electoral college and everything else works. Fair enough. Yep. All right. Next one. Contested election. Don't, don't worry about the Senate or the House. What happens to the stock market in that scenario? And I guess you've said 50-50, but specifically contested election, what percentage chance do you put on that? So I would put almost 100% chance on, on a contested election. That's something that I, I feel like we've been bracing for for so long that I would be shocked, and I think you know, uh, most of the country would be shocked if we get a concession speech, uh, I mean, let alone on election night in, in at least the first week. Uh, and so there, there will be plenty of chaos. You know, I, I do see whoever loses taking this to court, so this being a pretty drawn-out, uh, uh, protracted affair. But I think um, as opposed to sort of the, the legal procedural aspect of it, um, the, the civil unrest uh, side of it could definitely uh, be amplified or, or magnified um, in the, the following weeks. So I don't think it's, it's on election day. In fact, it might feel oddly calm election day and the day after. But uh, unless we get you know, a, a definitive answer or at least feel like we're moving closer to some type of, of definitive answer, I'm sure everyone will be convinced that their side won and are going to be even more resolved in, in sort of uh, their their partisan stance, however that may be. Um, so it seems way too likely that there there's going to not be that concession speech, which is pretty much the only way that, in, in my opinion, that it ends uh, in in a not chaotic manner. So I don't see either of these candidates really willing to step up to do that. So some degree of chaos, you know, whether it's uh, cities are on fire, we're, you know, basically moving back uh, several, several thousand years of, uh, you know, evolution and just, um, turning the country upside down or, you know, we, we have several weeks of no, no clarity here. And in that case, you know, the, the trend that we're seeing right now, uh, will certainly not be helped. Um, if there isn't any, any clear guidance or anything, I think there will definitely be a lot of risk off, uh, even if, you know, there isn't major chaos, but there's, there's not real any, any indication of, what will happen. Gotcha. And you, I assume based on your comments, you think that is going to be a disaster for the stock market. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'd quite say a, a disaster. I think that's definitely something that, that sits out in the future. You know, that would take a few bankruptcies or, you know, potentially even a, a hot war for um, some significant action. But uh, in terms of thinking that we just resume the, the bull market that we'd been very comfortably sitting in pretty much from uh, the March lows up through the beginning of September, uh, I, I think that that is most likely not going to happen. So 
you know, a slow drawdown that potentially gets escalated as time goes on um, seems like a more realistic scenario than just uh, the market falling off a cliff uh, in the, the week or two following the election. But uh, it, it doesn't look very bullish, I, I would say. And I think that in the near term, I mean, it can be bullish and, and we you know, discussed some scenarios there, but uh, the gut feeling here is is definitely uh, not not bullish, but I'm I'm more comfortable being long volatility than necessarily just shorting the market with, with two fists at first. Um, but, you know, I, I, I as much as most of the market is probably taking a, a wait and see position here. Definitely. All right. Last one. And this one, I actually could see arguments for potentially any direction. And I am, I have the least certainty on what would happen. Trump victory, what happens to the stock market? Well, it seems like the, the market is almost more interested in a, in a blue sweep because that would mean more stimulus. But I, I think the original sentiment, you know, going back to the, the summer and, and well before the debates was that, you know, Trump is the more market friendly president, lower taxes, you know, has clearly been uh, interested in propping up the stock market at, at all costs. So I think a Trump victory would be probably more bullish than a blue sweep, at least in the immediate term, uh, just because some degree of status quo would be bullish since I, I feel like a lot of the uh, selling is, is, due certain, is most likely to uncertainty more so than it is you know, poor fundamentals or uh, a, a materially significant reason to, to be selling off. But um, a Trump victory basically meaning, you know, whatever he is to you, it's at least, you know, going to be the, the same guy instead of a, a new type of, of awful um, probably is, is bearish in a lot of regards. And I think that's very, very, or excuse me, is, is bullish in a lot of regards and very bullish for uh, especially the energy stocks moving forward. I, I think that um, if you're looking to play in, in the, the oil space, you definitely want a, a Trump victory. And in that case, um, I could see a, a significant bull run um, coming in the back half of the year, especially with uh, crude production coming way down. And I don't know if we've talked about that on the show, but um, that would definitely be a recipe for uh, a nice run and some, some pretty beaten down names. Definitely. Yeah. I appreciate all three of those scenarios uh, you've given your opinion. I mean, I think as an investor, you got to be ready for any of them. I mean, I honestly think there's an argument to be made that you could go, you know, a 33.3% chance on each. Um, just a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, I did want to ask, so you, you had in the show notes, um, miners, uh, you know, you, you have some names. I mean, I guess Newmont reported, uh, Barrick reports next week. Um, I guess just going off this election theme, like what are your thoughts on miners uh, pre and post election? But before we move on here, I, I do just want to get your quick rundown of those three scenarios in terms of what, what you see being the, the likelihood of a blue sweep, uh, Trump versus Biden, and what you think is uh, best or worst for markets. Oh, definitely. You're, you're putting me on the spot because honestly, like I, I have not, I thought about it a lot, but ultimately like I try to think more about what are stocks I own irrespective of who's president, but I'll, I'll take a go at it. So Ultimately, like I'm a data guy and I think Nate Silver, uh, you know, whether he got 2016 wrong or right, historically his track record is excellent. Again, in 2016, he did give a 30% uh, probability to Trump. So again, like you can really think of it like a flush draw or like a low pair beating like a, a high pair in poker. So ultimately, like I, I trust that data a lot and I think it's probably the most statistically rigorous model. 
So they have Biden 87-13. I mean, the, the thing they don't have is the contested election probability, which obviously throws a, a huge wrench in uh, you know, any attempt to forecast this. I think the contested election probability is, is probably like anywhere from 25 to 50%. Um, obviously, we live in like a very legal prone, you know, legal warfare type nation, uh, probably getting more lawyer heavy by the day. So this very cynical side of me says that like irrespective of who wins, there's going to be a legal challenge. Um, so I go 50% on that. After that, like let's say you're, you're left with another 50%. I think that's probably 40% uh, Biden and then 10% Trump. So yeah, we're going 40% Biden, 50% contested election, uh, 10% Trump. Um, and I think, again, the, the highest probability of those three is contested. And I think there as an investor, it actually does make me excited because you know, just speaking as a, a human citizen, I think I'm very confident in humans' abil- ability to resolve their differences. I would expect that we get a president within the year. But I do think during that time, there's going to be a huge buying opportunity at a ton of stocks. The market hates uncertainty, um, especially when you look at stocks that are more politics-oriented. You, know, you mentioned some of the energy names. I know you've had like weed stocks, crypto. I mean, all three of those industries are heavily impacted by regulation. Um, but I also think there's probably like high quality names you could own in all three. So ultimately, like any type of election uncertainty, I, I would look to buy high quality names that I, I trust the managers and I trust the earnings. Um, and I think, again, I think that's the highest chance, right? I think it's a coin flip, whether it's contested. Um, and again, in the event that Trump or Biden wins, I think there's stocks I want to own for the long term. So th- that's my kind of cop out answer. But I, I guess maybe the takeaway is I think I feel fairly confident this whole thing is going to be contested and we're not going to know for weeks. Would you put money on it? I, w- I think if I could, I, I, I would. I mean, I think the market's underrating um, how much both sides have hired lawyers in every single state. I mean, I, I think I read a Politico article that like, this is something that each side has thought about a ton and they already have lawyers on retainer who are getting ready to appeal the outcome. I mean, I, obviously that, that's sad and I'm, I'm upset we've got to this point. Um, but again, as an investor, you have to be ready for it. So I think, I think I'm personally geared up to uh, look at. I mean, I've made watch lists of stocks I'd love to buy on a dip, and I'm ready to kind of unload the bazooka next week if things get a little weird. Yeah, and you know, that, I, thank you for that answer, Ben. Didn't didn't mean to put you on the spot. I guess the you know the host is is given a carte blanche from having to give opinions there. But you know, every once in a while, it is it is good to hear from the man. That, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I I'm so used to asking the questions and not answering the questions. It's good to get a little a uh, little practice in reverse. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Brastoff. I, I don't get to introduce you enough. That was definitely an introducible moment there. But anyways, back to your original question here which I think was a question but it might have been a statement um, you know it's uh, I feel like the tone so far in, in what we've talked about has been been pretty pretty bearish even though we outlined some 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 bullish scenarios and it's not really everyone's cup of tea trading VIX UVXY or you know getting spy puts or something like that even though folks you make better you know if you hit a short trade you make more money faster so those are pretty pretty addicting but we do have some opportunity uh on some stocks to be bullish about and um w- one of which that that we've talked about before uh has been the gold miners now why why do i like the the gold miners feel bullish there especially with uh, gold really just sort of sitting in this this downward wedge pattern uh having had a false breakout and really flirting with the bottom end of that the difference is that gold miners, they have a yield uh, profit and loss. So with earnings coming up 
and gold sitting at all-time highs for an entire quarter. Uh, this is one earnings that I would feel comfortable loading up a position and holding through. Uh, and especially with a lot of the, the names in the minor space uh, being technically in a bear market despite that huge run-up. Um, from from the March lows when when precious metals dipped with that that uh, big big run up in the the DXY and the dollar um, we we often, we've seen the the miners basically lag a little bit behind gold so without that huge run up despite the fact that gold spot price was the highest it's ever been for an entire quarter uh, these do seem like a great opportunity to to cash in on some some lower volatility with some some high upside so we saw Newmont uh, one of the the largest gold miners. Um, located in Colorado report today, one of the first ones. Uh, they had their best quarter ever expectedly and were up 3% there. So we got a couple other miners reporting uh, this week and next uh, with Barrick Gold, which is uh, one miner that our, our buddy Margaritaville Buffett took a position in. So uh, if you like any of those dinosaur stocks that he's in, then then you'll love this, this hot new one. Uh, and then we've also got uh, Kinross Gold, um, KGC, and Yamana Gold. Um, reporting next week. So that to me is just a, a nice straightforward, you know, not the crazy upside of uh, sweating out a, a Tesla earnings report, but in in uh, an earnings season where even really good earnings and earnings beats uh, might get a, a different reaction than you expect. It is kind of refreshing uh, to see the the reaction, you know, that I would at least expect there. So especially with the, the GDX taking a little bit of a beating this week, I think this is a fantastic time uh, to, to load up on, you know, not just precious metals, which you should always be adding a little bit of gold and silver to your portfolio, but an, uh, a perfect time to be really taking a nice position in, in gold miners and GDX, uh, the gold miners ETF, as well as GDXJ, uh, the junior gold miners ETF are a great way to do that. So uh, I, I feel like the fundamentals around gold and precious metals especially are something you can be bullish about with um, a, a lot of uh, monetary risk there and inflation, even if we haven't seen it yet. In fact, the, the dollar's going the wrong direction there if you're trying to make a gold trade. Uh, there's a, a good story to be made for precious metals. It looks like there is a lot of accumulation, especially of the physical gold and silver, uh, especially on the, the COMEX, the Commodities Exchange, and the Globex, uh, with a lot of customers taking delivery. In fact, taking more delivery this year uh, in a couple of months than they had any year previous. So with that accumulation, there does seem to be a, a good story there to expect a major uh, move upwards once gold breaks out of this um, pattern that it's in. So uh, I think you can catch a, a ride and get, a, you know, an even bigger boost with, with the miners here with earnings on top of, you know, what I would expect to be a gold breakout on the back half of the year. I think that uncertainty around the election definitely favors um, precious metals as well as crypto as well. In, you know, brief sidebar, we've seen uh, Bitcoin break over 13,000 and hold that level, almost really decoupling um, from the major indexes. And that was one of the major criticisms of crypto and Bitcoin is that they're basically tracking the indices. Um, but since we saw that run kicked off with the announcement that Square was investing, um, they've been on a nice haul. So I think also taking a position in pretty much the only crypto stocks out there, Marathon, Patent Group, and Riot Blockchain, ticker M-A-R-A -A and R-I-O-T, uh, is a great way to get a even cheaper exposure to crypto than you know buying a single Bitcoin or a single Ethereum, and the upside is significant. And if you just look at the charts and where they're trading at, you know it does look a bit like a pump and dump penny stock. But 
Um, they've both been finding some solid base well above uh, their, their trading prices this summer with Marathon, right about 250. It's down a little bit today and uh, Riot sitting just below $4. So there's significant upside there. And if you're bullish on Bitcoin, and crypto and also see that being a, a major hedge against chaos or uncertainty moving forward. I think that uh, these two stocks present an opportunity to at least, um, I, I don't know if I'd call it hedging uh, against chaos, but you know, potentially putting yourself in a good position if the rest of your portfolio is hurting and also with the miners. And like we mentioned before, uh, one, one play that I brought up on the show uh, leading into the elections and mostly just so I can Smoke weed every day. Love, love that sound bite. R.I.P. Nate Dog is the weed stocks, and you know we we've seen a little bit of accumulation there, but um, the major weed stocks, Tilray, Canopy Growth, uh, Aurora Cannabis, Hexo, haven't done a whole ton, but with uh, the election, that means the potential for more legalization in more states, greater market, and more sales channels for these companies to sell their product, which had been one of the, the major bottlenecks uh, to them you know, really uh, achieving the growth they thought they could. Uh, so, you know, if you like energy and you like banks that are really cheap, I don't know that weed stocks could go much lower. Uh, and maybe anecdotal and not based on anything other than um, personal, well, maybe my friend's experience. I think that more lockdown measures and more lockdown measures in winter definitely favor uh, the, the cannabis and, and alcohol uh, industries. So that, that might be a nice place to look for a good amount of value where you don't need to worry about the, the rug getting pulled out from under you because it's already been pulled out from, from the weed industry. So you know, those are a couple of small plays you can take a, a little nibble on. I wouldn't recommend you know, dumping your, your 401k into uh, weed or crypto stocks, but um, it's probably a better play right now than jumping in on the, the top of you know, whatever hot tech stock, which I'm not even sure which hot tech stock would would be on the on the top right now. I don't know. Zoom Zoom's been selling off, but yeah, look 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 at weed stocks. I'll throw one more quiver in the weed stocks and Bitcoin era arrow. So a lot of states and municipalities are majorly strapped for cash right now. Obviously, they can't rely on the same tax revenues that they did in previous years, and even prior to that, a lot of them already were operating in not the best financial position. I think this is extremely bullish for the legalization of marijuana as well as sports gambling um, and, and for Bitcoin, which is a strange one to, to put in, the, um, in that basket just because you probably in that situation need to print money or issue more debt or do something that's going to increase the supply of them too um, or physical money supply. So states are going to be in a real uh, bad area and they're going to have to bail themselves out, um, whether that's through recapitalizing um, or kind of legalizing more types of things that would allow them to increase their tax base. Um, who knows? But I, I do think it bodes well for a number of stocks. Uh, so I'm with you on the green trade. Should we do a little review of our $100 bets? Let's, uh, let's hit the home stretch here. Let's do it. Okay, so Berkshire versus the Qs. Uh, this one has been so up and down since we started in May. Every time I think I'm pulling closer, you pull away. So Berkshire... Uh, really has had a rough run of it since this market sell-off began. Um, trading right around the 200 area. By the way, this is on my list of stocks I'm going to aggressively purchase if we see any election uncertainty. Um, it's, been on my, it's on my watch list forever. I've been adding to my position for years. So Berkshire, when we made this bet, was at 182, currently closed at 201.51, only up 10.3%. The Qs, 
uh, again, it's, it's been an incredible return, an amazing ride. Um, I, I actually think the, the earnings that have happened for the tech co- company should only help you here. Um, 29.9% return, 212 when we made the bet. Uh, triple Q, the ETF, closing at 276.39 today. For a little perspective, the market is up about 17% over that time period. So I, I don't know how you're feeling about the Qs now, um, but it, I, I want to believe I can still win this bet, but I'm running out of time here. I feel like I talk about shorting cues on this show more than any other uh, ticker or ETF. And I still know that this is the right play. And I guess it's not so much that, you know, I don't, I don't believe in uh, blue chip tech long term or see that as being sort of the, the best ROI you can get from a, a bucket of stocks in, in sort of any environment. But they, they run up so much, that means that there's big drawdowns. So it's fun to trade on both sides. But I think if you see weakness in the queues, that means you're probably seeing weakness all around. So, you know, they might draw down a little more than other areas of the market. But if they're selling, pretty much everything else is selling at the same time. So I, I would be definitely hitching my wagon to uh, the NASDAQ on the way up. And since it basically operates in a lot of ways like a or feels like almost like a, a, a leveraged vehicle for, for trading the market. Um, definitely a fun, a fun one to short when you have a situation like this, a bunch of companies reporting a lot of eagerness around it. And, you know, money is always going to pile into tech uh, when investors feel like they are in a risk on situation. So I'm, I'm still comfortable that this, this will, you know, pan out in the future. But I, I do give Mark Aritaville some credit. He's getting into miners. You know, we may find out that he's already gotten out. But if he's increased his position, you know, I, I give that a possibility to potentially outperform tech moving forward, especially in the back half of this year. So, you know, a little prop bet that, uh, you know, either, either GBX or, or GLD will, will uh, outperform um, the NASDAQ basically from, from here to whenever the, the bet ends. That's pretty bold. We, we may consider making that. Um, one additional word on the Oracle I did want to throw to the listeners. So I'm reading a great book right now. It's called The Making of an American Capitalist by Roger Lowenstein. It is a biography of Buffett. Um, great read. But basically one thing I learned about Buffett from reading this book is pretty much every other decade, people believe Buffett doesn't know how to invest anymore mainly because he stays out of the market uh, when the market's hot. So, you know, Buffett didn't know how to invest in the 70s. He didn't know how to invest in the 90s. He was washed up, you know, throughout parts of the 60s. So it's very tempting to count Buffett out. And I think during this most recent year, um, we haven't really heard a whole lot from Berkshire. You know, they have a big cash position and they really haven't done a whole lot. I mean, they had the Dominion deal. But again, like, Buffett takes his time and it, it only takes one, right? Like you think about the returns he had on the Bank of America and Goldman Sachs per- preferred during the height of the financial crisis. You know, some of the deal he did with the American Express, um, you know, in multiple decades, uh, Coca-Cola in the 70s and 80s, like Buffett, you know, hits home runs and he definitely strikes out sometimes as well. But again, like I, I don't think there's an investor with better conviction um, who kind of sticks to his principles and uh, it just relies on compounding and, you know, fundamental value to rise over time. So that's all to say, like, I just think, you know, people are so negative on Berkshire. It's really important to remember historically that, like, there have been decade or multi-year periods uh, where a lot of people have counted Warren Buffett out. And don't count Warren Buffett out is my, uh, my closing thoughts to the listeners. 
Um, two more bets, MGM versus CrowdStrike. Again, the origins of this bet are unclear. Some believe it to be IAC's acquisition of MGM um, in August. But again, MGM, uh, since August 1st, is down 1.6%. They actually reported earnings today. The market did not like it. Uh, 66% decline in revenue compared to the same quarter last year. Uh, CrowdStrike, friend of the pod, is up 31% over that time period. Um, again, we'll gloss over that one because I am losing that bet badly. The one I do want to talk about and uh, take my victory lap is Crocs versus Skechers. Uh, as people know from earlier in the pod, Crocs had a completely kick-ass Q3. Um, top line beat, bottom line beat. Um, I, I mean, I think it, it's one of the my favorite stocks. Uh, the first slide in their um, slide deck for this quarter was LeBron James just decked out in Crocs, looking awesome. Um, you know, I, I just think new old brands gaining new traction right now. Um, I have no plans to remove it from my portfolio, actually adding to my position. Crocs, since August 17th, is up 32.5%. Skechers, a mere 18%. So that's one bet I do think I will run away with. Uh, but you've taken two out of three. Um, you have the best of me. So again, sir, I, I tip my hat to you. Uh, I'm probably going to owe you $100 or more by uh, your end. Well, you know, I, I think that will be probably the most impressive beat for you with the, the Crocs over Skechers in the battle of the, the beloved shoe brands. And real quick, the MGM CrowdStrike bet is because you said you're most bullish about betting of, of any industry. And I said, I am more bullish about cybersecurity or this particular one stock. And that is, that is where the MGM CrowdStrike one comes from but we'll we'll stick with mysterious origins it was it was a bet that was prophesized by by nostradamus back uh in in you know antiquity uh but you know uh, beloved shoe brands man i think money's going to rotate out of tech and into crocs uh especially with all of the hot uh collabs that they got coming out and you know sketchers despite being on earnings down four and a half percent after hours so that's not good for for my not very beloved shoe brand but um Long live the Crocs, man. I, I think once the rest of the industry is, is smoldering wreckage, there will still be uh, new gibbets coming out to, to be able to really spice up your, your bizarre footwear. Yeah, higher, higher price per Crocs sold because of the gibbets. They did call that on the earnings call. So yeah, Crocs, Crocs and Twinkies survive all. So you're going to want to buy Crocs and Hostess. All righty, man. Any closing words for the listeners before we wrap up? Yeah, don't don't forget that you can you can buy puts too if you guys are out there trading options. It's it's sad to see on a selling day today was not one of those days, but uh, on a big red candle, a lot of sob stories about um, you know, accounts getting blown up. So not the worst thing. Maybe even just hold hold some uh, long volatility, whether that's VIX or UVXY calls. But you should also be making money when it sells. That's that's my, my final thought. Indeed. Uh, to add to that, I would, I would say the history books are written every year, uh, not months. So keep the long term in mind, listeners. All right, bud. Happy trading. Happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.